Hey, Andy. Shh. Huh? Andy? Shh. I'm waiting. Waiting? Waiting for what? That sweet-ass trickle-down economics money, baby. It's coming. That's what they told us. Any day now. <sighs> Andy, I don't think... Any I... day now. Podcast Yggdrasil. And we're back. 300 kroner, Matthew. 300 fucking kroner. You're gonna whine about this the entire <sighs> day, aren't you? Until the day I hit the dirt. Parking tickets. The scourge of man. No, we're not talking about parking tickets, Andy. It's a conspiracy, I tell you. A conspiracy. Ah, capitalism. Parking tickets. Now Gah. that we'll be talking about. <sighs> I got a parking ticket today. I bet nobody noticed. And it was my fault. Fuck. Let's talk about something sadder. The state yes. of our labor thing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, today is not the first of May, but it's probably going to be when you hear this. Because we're going to not doing labor on the first of May. Yes, we won't be laboring. We will neither labor nor be in labor. Uh, yeah, the first of May is approaching. Uh, it's the day after tomorrow. And it's, I mean, it, it's supposed to be a big day for workers worldwide. Yes, it's yeah. a national holiday. Most places, not America, but most mm. places. Yeah, and it's a day meant to, you know, commemorate and celebrate the progress made uh, for workers' rights and, uh, you know, our industries. And talking about the new issues, there will be, I mean, due to COVID, probably not this year the the way it's used to be but you know people will be marching there will be banners with slogans that they feel need to be heard people will talk about six hour work days again and <laughs> nobody will listen <laughs> then laugh when they get to the back rooms but um it should be a day of change not only you know to celebrate what's happened up until this point, but also talking about changes that needs to be made. And I mean, in, when we're coming out in a like post-COVID era, change in the labor market is going to be important. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time seeing what happens uh, once the pandemic quietens down. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think we talk about the 1st of May every year because of yes. our, our feelings towards, maybe especially towards, you know, the, the parade that's usually done every year. Uh, not last year. <laughs> Thank you, pandemic. Because, um, yeah, I guess our conversation is kind of uh, discolored by our um, cynicism. <laughs> that's the polite way of putting it. Yeah, basically... Uh, and I think a lot of people will agree with this. Uh, workers' rights aren't really... I wouldn't say they're prioritized anymore. It's not really... Maybe prioritized is the right, isn't the right word, but... Are we seeing any progress? I uh, mean, I feel it's kind of like the same thing as, you know... Feminism as well as, you know... Racism used to be seen with, with like, oh yeah, we were fighting for these things or against racism, uh, you know, 50 years ago. <laughs> fighting, we've been fighting for racism for years. I mean, uh, this isn't America, Matthew. I this mean, isn't if you're America. part of the clan, that's probably what you're doing or, you know. But please continue. 
But you know, it's like, you know, we fought, you know, 50, 100 years ago, we got all these things and now we're done with them and we, you know, we can celebrate them and pat our back. But, you know, it's a thing of the past. It's not something we need to do something with because we did all these things. Yeah, it's uh, to do a video game analogy. It, it's being treated as new game plus content, you know, the stuff you do in the game after you've done the main campaign and story. After you've finished all the main stuff, you just, you know, fuck around and just basically enjoy the game. And like you said, uh, racism is treated kind of similarly, uh, or it has been at least. I feel like, you know, the last couple of years has brought it back into the limelight, you know, yeah. especially with Black Lives you know, Matter, BLM and the Trump era. Mm. But, you know... Yeah, having a straight-up racist in the White House uh, kind of helps to bring it to the forefront. But I think we hear it very clearly when it comes to, like, you know, you know the issue of feminism, because you'll get a lot of people who will say things like, you know, oh yeah, you know, women's rights were important and we fought for it and we got equality and why are we even talking about these things now? Yeah. Uh, and yeah. it's kind of the same when it comes to like, like this, like, yeah, we fought for this, we got unions, now everything is fine and we need to like work hand in hand with the capitalists because what? Yeah, um, oh, I forgot what, was, what I was saying. Um, Parking ticket. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> God damn it. I, I paid 300 kroner for a kebab. And the guy wasn't even... Not, let's move on. <laughs> before, I, before I bust a nut. Bust a nut? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. You don't even uh, make sense. Pause for edits. Do, do I need to like move further away? <laughs> uh, I need to go to the bathroom. Uh, you have locks, right? <laughs> but yeah. But yeah uh, like you said, it's been... Labor rights and, you know, the progress of the working, working man's movement. It's kind of stagnated, I'd say. And personally, I think we're backsliding. Uh, oh, yeah. Because the problem is once you, uh, you pointed to, you know, the past where we fought for, we, <laughs> our forefathers, uh, our, you know, our grandparents and Great grandparents, they and before even before even that, people have been forced to protest and you know fight, even literally fight for their rights when it comes to uh, labor. And uh, you know people used to work twelve-hour days, ten-hour days. We're down to eight. Uh, there are murmurings about you know the six-hour workday, uh, but it's not really. I mean, it's over a hundred years since we got the eight-hour one, so... Yeah, and I mean, uh, unemployment is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. Uh, automation of our industry is becoming more and more the norm. The amount so, of people who has to work on part-time contracts. Uh, yeah, part-time contracts are getting bigger and bigger. And we have, you know, the uberification of different work roles. Mm. And the, you know, there, there's insulation for companies that want to, you know, fuck over their workers. Because when a big company like, say, what's a company I hate? Disney. <laughs> Let's say Disney uh, wants something done, something produced. Or, wait, even better, uh, Apple, perfect example. Uh, they want to produce their iPhones and they need the cheap labor of children to do it. Uh, but it's bad PR to, you know, <laughs> force children to work. 
But you don't understand. With so tiny phones, you need tiny hands to put them together. <laughs> yeah. So what you do is you hire in a third party that will employ the children, put them to work, and if this gets, you know, if you get caught and this gets attention and criticism, uh, the criticism is directed mostly at the third party. At least, at least as long as your PR department is doing its job. Because no, 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 we no, no, we we hired this third party, and we didn't think they would abuse, you I know, mean, the rights of the workers or the children. It's kind of in a way that, you know, intelligence agencies and you know sometimes often militaries prefer to use independent contractors because then you can just cut ties if somebody happened to have a camera there. Blackwater, <coughs> Blackwater, <coughs> yeah, uh, Blackwater. Police should try to do that more. Mm. Can you fucking imagine? I mean, it's America. You wouldn't. What surprise. are they called again? The the Patriot Boys, the Proud Boys. Yeah. Yes. Can you imagine the Proud Boys walking down the street, going all like, <gasps> "Bacon, bacon, oh, and kill blacks." I'm pretty sure that happened a year ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I just described a you know a normal cop. Uh, anyway, let's refocus. Uh, labor. Yes. Uh, yeah, we uh, unions. Stuff. Yeah, we were talking about how it was a very active struggle to, you know, get the, you know, get our. Fuck, I'm losing my words here. Get our rights. Yeah, I mean, we've been struggling to, you know, get more and more rights in the workplace, and it feels like maybe around the time when our parents. I mean, my parents are, you know, fifty, sixty years old. Uh, yours are a little older. Uh, maybe around their time things kind of started stagnating or maybe around the time we were born. I don't know. I don't know about the specifics. I think it but might be even earlier. And I think it comes down to what you said. You said something along the lines of, you know, we should, you know, keep fighting to get more rights. And I feel like that's how this is being, you know, labeled that, you know, you know, fought for rights, we got some rights, and now we, like, keep asking for more rights, and, you know, we can't just, like, keep on giving you rights forever because, you know, some gun has got to make a fucking profit there. You getting greedy there, peasants? And, you know, that, that's the irony of things because the... Right now, at least here in Norway, most of the organizations are talking about, you know, what kind of uh, changes will be in, you know, the pay for different, uh, you know types of labor and different, you know, what will be the, you know, we don't have a minimum wage here, but we have union set wages. So if you're part of a union, you're going to get the union wage. And then, you know, the union negotiates with different forms of, I guess, what would you call them? Like, you know, business unions, essentially. Mm. And Andy's in a really funny spot here because He's going to get less money for next year if these things go through. Yeah, remember how us teachers uh, were so awesome? Very all? valuable and important workers that we care a lot for and will pay less. Yeah, I mean, it, it was so nice. Every time I came to visit you, I would walk past, you know, our prime minister, uh, Anna Sulberg, and a beautiful poster where she thanks the brave and awesome teachers for all the hard work we put in last year and this year during, you know, during the pandemic. Cause now we can put in the work by... Putting money that we needed to bail out the rich. Yeah, because uh, us teachers, here in Norway at least, were basically the profession with the worst you know, growth uh, when it comes to pay. So that feels awesome. Uh, I feel appreciated. I mean, 
negative growth isn't even growth. No, it's reduction. So yeah, fuck. But uh, like you said, um, unions. Yes. Yeah, you brought up unions. And here in Norway, uh, I mean, <laughs> we have them. Uh, and a small dive, I'll divert a little here because Norway is in a strange spot, I think, because uh, the two of us, we, we read about, you know, America every day. I mean, most people do. America first. Yeah, and, you know, in America, it's the wild fucking West because in America, your employer can, you know, just boot you out at any moment. He can fire you just for looking at, looking at him wrong. Uh, you, yeah, you can lose your job at any time unless you please your employer. It's, uh, yeah, it's sounds like slavery with extra steps. When it, when you think about those conditions, in my view at least, it's a far cry from actual slavery. But I mean, actual, you know, financial slavery. I don't think it's a far cry away from that. Uh, and when you look at America and compare it to Norway, Norway seems fucking awesome. And by all means, it's we have it pretty good here. Yeah, there's vacation time. You get to take time off work with your son. Yeah, I mean, we have five weeks of guaranteed vacation, you know, paid vacation uh, every year. And um, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I just had a son, a three-month-old son, and my, uh, my partner... She, I mean, she's gonna be staying at home with him, you know, getting paid until September. Yeah, September or October. October, I think, yeah. And then you're up. Yeah, and then I'm up. And from like, yeah, the start of November until the middle of March or something, I'm gonna be staying at home with my son. And that's how things should be, I think. That's, you know, and... I'm paying for it. Right I'm, now, there's like five business owners in America somehow listening to this, like choking yeah. or something, dying in panic over how much that would affect them. I'm getting the sweats, the panic sweats, the communists, the communists. Oh my God. People are happy, content, calm. Oh, this sounds like socialism. Whew. But yeah, uh, and I'm. this isn't me getting something for free. This is me getting my fucking dues from my taxes. Yes. I'm investing... I'm investing my money into this, into the future. And um, that's how it should be. And what else? Uh, yeah, uh, another thing. Uh, we brought up how you can be fired for anything in America. Here in Norway, if your boss just fires you for no reason, you can, you know, take it to the... Arbeidstilsynet. Um, uh, oh, uh, What's that in English? Uh, yeah, the... Does it even exist in yeah, English? <laughs> basically, we have an organization that's just... Just meant to protect the rights of workers. Yeah, you you need a valid reason to to fire someone. Yeah, and if you're essentially, if you have to let somebody go due to you know not being able to afford the same amount of workers, you cannot directly choose who you let go. It's based on uh, seniority. Yeah, and also uh, let's say you yeah let's say finances forces you to fire me. Sorry, Andy, I just can't keep you on anymore uh you sure you can fire me but you have to give me usually it's two or three months notice uh, yes. notice so uh if you want me if you want me gone you have to give me a notice at least anywhere between one and three months before 
so that you have the time to, you know, get a new job by the time you quit your current one. And, and, and that goes both ways. You cannot, you know, just quit on the day. You, you, the, the boss has the use of you for the next three months. So yeah, I mean, the same obligation goes it, for you. It creates a certain stability. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a huge safety net because just imagine, just if you, let's say you're one of the unfortunate people who has a shitty, shitty boss and he or she can just, you know, fire you at any time. That's a, that's a insane, that's an insane amount of power to hold over someone's head. And yeah, I wouldn't be comfortable, you know, arguing too hard for a pay raise, for example, if things were like that. Uh, because, okay, you're being difficult, I'll just fire a ass. But if you have to stay on for two or three months, it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not as easy. And if I think you're firing me for you know, a bad cause, I can even get, hey, I, can, I can sue and either keep my job or you know, get paid restitution. And all, all of these things are great, they are. Uh, but at the same time, here in Norway, we've seen a very clear, you know, move towards the right when it comes to our yeah. rights. And especially with the introduction of more part-time contracts, which mm. means, I mean, most of the rights here in Norway are based upon, you know, regular employment and not, you know, part-time jobs. The part-time market has different needs. For instance, you know, you probably don't have, you know, the same amount of protection if that deal were to be terminated because it was never supposed to be for a long period of time. Yeah, you don't have as many rights when you work on a part-time contract. And uh, here in Norway, uh, the, the, party that, the political party that has historically been the biggest is our Labour Party. Yes. It's literally called the Labour Party. The party, The Workers' Party. And uh, that party has been responsible. They've been in power for, you know, most of the... Okay, maybe... They, they've been in power for the majority of years, you know, since World War II, I think. Yeah, even yeah. though they had most of the time closer to World War II. Now it feels kind of like, you know, we get eight years with Labour and then we get eight years with the Conservatives. Yeah, like they get a decade and then we get switch. eight more years with Labour, which are kind of like Conservative lights. Mm. So, but the problem is our Labour Party is, it's suspiciously similar to our cons Conservative Party, the right. It, the party is literally called the right. Yes. Yeah. The uh, original. Yeah. And uh, they've been basically just been acting like, you know, Conservative light, like you said. They've been responsible for, you know, the, some reductions in our... Uh, rights, you know, part-time contracts, that became a thing under them, didn't it? Wasn't it? Or am I lying? I mean, it probably already existed, yeah, it, but it, it, it was existed. definitely, you know, expanded upon and a lot of privatization in other ways and a lot of changing how, uh, you know, the businesses that were publicly run were supposed to turn a profit in a way that they weren't supposed to earlier. Like, you know, hospitals were now supposed to be a profitable run business and not something that, you know, just didn't go completely bankrupt. Mm. Because you got to make money on people's lives. And here we come back to, you know, the point, uh, the thing we started talking about at the beginning. Uh, the fact that people 
most people, they don't really seem that concerned about protecting the rights we have. Because that's a discussion I have with people, with my friends, probably at least once a month. I have this discussion with people, you know, uh, what should we do to, you know, protect our rights? Uh, and I always hear the same thing that, well, we have it pretty good here, right? I mean, yeah. things are good. And then things are often spinned in a ways like, you know, that makes the cut-in rights look pretty. Like, you know, should you really be paid if you get sick for a week or should you pay that out of your own wallet? Mm. Is and, it and fair for me to pay for you to be sick? Like, my grandmother is in a home and she, she eats shit for dinner every, every day. Why should you be paid so much money while my grandmother is dying in a home? And I mean, you know, this is classic tactics that tends to be used against the worker class, which is, you know, divide and conquer. Mm. You know, split them up, even in different opinions, different races, different, as long as it's not different classes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it boils down to class warfare, cause you, because you have the well, working class Andy, and you have the class. Isn't it very aggressive to use the term warfare? Like, can't we be, all be friends? <laughs> That's cute. Uh, but yeah, the big problem here is that yeah, people just people just don't really care about it anymore because they don't seem to care about it anymore. And I feel like and this is the interesting part about, you know, if you think about it, a hundred years ago, a century was probably around the time, if you look, you know, at the world as a whole, where labor movements if not where at its strongest, we're doing the most of its fighting and its success. Mm. You know, we, we changed, we got the eight-hour workday, we got lots of regulation, you know, it was constantly fighting and making change. And I think if we look at, you know, the centuries after that, you can see the two different outcome of the labor movement, which kind of leaves the same result in a way, because we have the more, how should you call it, you know, the... American or the British model where business interest together with some government interest basically just broke the union's power in different ways mm. and ended up in, you know, creating mostly unorganized societies. And then we have, you know, the Norwegian model. <laughs> yeah, the, the Scandinavian social democratic model where it kind of feels like, you know, the union that stood on the, in the trenches, ready to fight, has been turned into some kind of domesticated animal that cares a lot about the other side and gives up and are more interested in being nice and playing ball than actually working for the ones paying for the unions. Reaching across the aisle, Matthew. Yes. Uh, but yeah... Uh... I, that was the analogy I was going for as well. Uh, the unions in, you know, Britain, the USA, they were killed. Uh, the unions here in Scandinavia, they've been domesticated. Um, and I think, I think the more dangerous thing is when something gets domesticated. Because you notice when something's gone, when something's killed or it goes extinct, you know, when, you know, when polar bears go away, we're, we're going to notice. You know, people are going to wonder, hey, did I see those things on TV floating on <laughs> some iceberg? 
where are they? But you know, when you see a cat or a dog on the street, you don't care. I mean, it's, it's a daily occurrence. And in very much the same way, you are seeing more and more of that. Well, I got to use Norway as an example. Uh, yeah, you, you see them reaching across the aisle and yeah, pulling things more and more to the right when it comes to... Yeah, I... Fuck. I, I don't know how to put it into words. Um, I mean, it comes to the case of it that, you know, the, the leadership of the unions have lost touch with their base and their base has been told that the union is doing the work and they don't really need to participate anymore, which means that, you know, unless somebody says we're striking, nothing really happens. And it's kind of taken, you know, the strength in the union is that you're a shit ton of people that, you know, by yourself, you're fairly weak, but if everybody stands together, you can get shit done. The problem is, since the entirety of the army basically has been sent home, there's no mass amount of people standing together. Mm. There's bureaucrats at the top discussing, which meaning that most of the, the ones who could push for forces and make change, I mean, they're there on the piece of paper, but they're not there in spirit. Yeah, and like you said, uh, when the army goes home, you don't, <laughs> there's no battle. And uh, that's what a union is. It's gathering the workers together to form a unified front. And, you know, my, my grandfather, you met him. Yes. Uh, he was a hardcore union man. I mean, that was his job at, you know, in his final years. He was just traveling around to different, to different, um, uh, Fuck, different workplaces and, you know, dealing with union issues at, the, uh, at those places and, you know, backing them up, backing up the employees against the management or, you know, whatever. And uh, um, when you when don't have a union, standing up to uh, injustice in the workplace becomes a lot scarier and a lot more difficult and, you know, I, I used this, uh, I think I told you, I used this example with my students uh, just a few days ago, uh, where I, tr I treated one of my students really badly, on purpose. I mean, he was in on it. <laughs> I didn't just start beating him, but yeah, you know, started being a bit mean to him. And uh, uh, yeah, Our, my students were really confused about what to do. Because, yeah, I mean, can't you just quit? Nah, then he, just, then he doesn't have a job. Uh, yeah, I was using an example where uh, my students were my employees. That was like the scenario we were playing out. And yeah, I mean, basically took them through the, the process of how do, you deal with, how do you deal with it when you're being treated badly in the workplace, when it comes to you know, pay or how you're treated you know, at work, uh, whatever. How do you deal with that problem? And my students were so confused. They didn't know how to deal with it. And, I mean, they're fifth graders, so that's not so strange uh, that they wouldn't know how to do that. But a lot of people, <laughs> that ignorance, it doesn't, you know, it stays with them past fifth grade and into their adult lives. Yeah, there's no union course at school or when you get into the workplace. It, you know, that's just how it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure, I, th I think, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, like, half of my friends, half of my friends 
probably don't really have a real grasp on what the un- what a union can do for them because we're treated fairly well pretty well and the people are treated really badly they're mostly an exception you hear about them and uh, yeah that sucks and yeah sure we've all had a shitty boss every now and then uh, but we're we're at least we're treated like humans right and you know we're getting paid and there's still vacation time that kind of thing but when the moment comes that your entire profession is you know basically downgraded or uh, yeah you know treated badly workers need to be able to immediately stand up unified and confront whatever power is you know moving against them to say it a bit dramatically and yeah domestication that's the word that comes back to me all the time domestication domestication because that's what's happening we're being slowly trained to be used to a certain level of what i would refer to as abuse in the workplace uh, and i don't mean just your boss i don't i don't mean your boss saying nasty stuff to you whatever uh, but more the underlying parts of yeah it's kind of the you know when you're told that you have a lot of not necessarily power but if you're told that you're well off you're doing well everything is good then it's harder to feel like things are not good because you're told that they are mm. like if somebody tells you that the flat you're renting is a really really nice flat then it's harder to say you know but you know the stove isn't working it's there's no fridge here because you were told that it's a good place because it's so with you're expecting that to be you know a good standard of things mm. and oh shit i think it's it's hard to stand up when you're told that you should be grateful for what you have and that uh, you know few are lucky to have those things that things are fine it's kind of like you know it's almost you know what you can see in you know when there's uh, domestic abuse if somebody's you know constantly told that things are fine then it's harder to realize that they're actually not that there is abuse and that they you know need to get out yeah it it reminds me of the uh you know the boil the frog yeah, principle it's very much a boil the frog scenario yeah. and uh, it, it, yeah i i think that there's always been a i mean i don't think i know <laughs> there's been a constant struggle you know through the years through the centuries between the workers and the uh, what we, uh, employers the employees yeah. and the employers those, the, those who help power and those who need to sell themselves to survive another day yeah and that that struggle's been constant but it feels like the other side you know the employer side the owner side they've figured out how to erode not just our rights but our will to and our will to defend our rights in the workplace i mean it's... without you know without pissing us off so much that we you know take real forceful action i mean it's the the change that comes to a society when pr and you know spinning <laughs> and you know public relations basically becomes such an important role because 
I mean, we hear it a lot now during COVID about how hard it is to own a business, how much money they are losing. Oof, They're talking yeah. about, you know, you, you, that pub you like down the street, it, it's gonna die. Like, you, you should just give the money even though you can't come there because, and it's, we, we're constantly spun this way about how hard the other side has it in order to gain sympathy and in order to feel like they're getting the raw end of the deal. Hey, just earlier today, I read an article about, you know, here in Norway, we fucking love our strawberries. Summertime in Norway, we're eating strawberries like crazy. We love that shit. And I, I read a heart-wrenching, heartbreaking article earlier today where the poor people who own all, the poor farmers that own all these strawberry fields, uh, they're, I mean, they're just... Uh, they're at their wit's end because they need they really need people to work their fields and the article brought up that the fact that there are a lot of people who are unemployed a lot of norwegian people who are unemployed and you know when you hear that you'd think that oh well that's great because these people these farmers they need employees and here are a bunch of employees that need you know an employer <laughs> let me guess they don't want to pay the amount it costs to employ somebody in Norway they, to pick strawberries? Yeah, because that's the, that's the thing. Because these farmers, they're used to, you know, shipping in a bunch of uh, people from Poland, for example, to do their work very cheaply. Somebody who comes without a union so they can set the wages themselves and not follow the union guidelines? Yeah, and I mean, if, if someone gets difficult, then, you know, just tell them to fuck off because you're probably not paying them. <laughs> you might not even be paying taxes. Uh, part-time contract once again yeah just and uh, yeah the article you know it brought up how difficult it is for the farmers the poor farmers and and I mean I haven't read that article but I read you know earlier versions of them and they tend to go out you know and talk about how ungrateful Norwegian youth are that they're expecting too much from doing such a job uh, which is basically fancy speak for they don't want to do it at the wage you offer them and uh, you know in the article they because um, uh, they provided a reason of course I mean it's not that they don't want to pay their workers as much it's not that it's the fact that these foreign laborers that come uh, that come every summer they have so much experience they have so much of invaluable experience that Norwegian people just simply we aren't able to master it in the same way because if there's like one job you need like you know PhD level understanding and experience is picking strawberries. Yeah, and they even, the guy they interviewed, the farmer, he even brought up that, yeah, I mean, uh, well, what you don't understand is that it's very physically challenging work. Norwegians just wouldn't be able to handle it. But <laughs> at the same time, they're paying them shit wages. There's a certain, you know, disproportionality yeah. there. If they were so <laughs> highly qualified worker at such a difficult and enduring job then maybe their pay would reflect that yeah, i mean yeah you need super you, you need more skilled laborers but you need to pay them less that doesn't make sense and the fact that they are you know comfortable even saying this shit in the open in an interview in a national newspaper it's uh yeah and for, it's... for a hothead like me it's infuriating <laughs> and you know what, what, what standard does it set for, you know, you talked about, you know, how your 
your your pupils doesn't understand you know the unions and that's basically all the teaching they will get at the point about how they work like what standard does it set for our youth in when they get articles talking about how ungrateful they are that they want more pay than you know the immigrant workers that they get and that they you know are employable that they're lazy that they're you know privileged basically like that that sort of rhetoric and you know hearing all of these things all the time it's not something that's going to lead you to fight harder for higher wages and a better workplace it's something that tells you that you should shut the fuck up and sit down speaking of shut the fuck up uh one of the i mean i don't know i mean i guess i've been more active in you know the um you know in the work in the workforce yeah because you know i'm healthy uh but so i don't know if you've noticed this but there's a culture in most workplaces uh, at least here in norway and i think it goes for you know most of the world as well that you don't really discuss how much money you make uh, i have friends that straight up just refuse to even talk about how much money they make not not just refuse to you know disclose how much they make but they don't want to even speak about you know the issues around it they don't even want to touch on the subject and uh, i've had employers who have told me hey andy uh, yeah my one boss uh, a real motherfucker uh, he told me yeah andy you can have a raise uh, as long as you don't tell the two other guys that you got a raise uh, so yeah he basically held my wage hostage uh, i told the others of course uh, but that's a really really common thing and not just from your employer because if it was just your asshole employer telling people hey don't discuss wages among yourselves uh, that wouldn't be as big of a problem but and it here we bring it back to that domestication again uh, i hear this mostly from you know the people i work with and you know you hear it from your colleagues that yeah you, you don't really discuss wages and discussing your your pay that's a that's a really big and important thing to have in your pocket. Because if I'm applying for a job and you already are in a, an identical position, uh, knowing what you make will be an advantage for me when I'm negotiating my pay, my salary. Yeah, as well as, you know, unless you're working some kind of specialized job, like, you know, you're a teacher, in theory, you should be able to calculate the pay of those who work, you work with because there's most likely you know union sets because you're teachers you have the teachers union so you know then what's the basic pay for a teacher and then you add in you know the, the the pay increase you get from you know having experience or maybe you know some extra education or some special you know part you're doing that you know should raise it but in theory if you would have that knowledge and you should probably you know I'm sure they would be able to tell you like, oh yeah, I'm, I took these studies or, you know, yeah, I've been working for 10 years. With that information, you should be able to calculate the amount that they are earning as long as they're working full time. Hmm. And secondly, also thing in Norway, which I know that Americans think are really weird because in America, once again, they're like, oh, we, it's, we're expected not to talk about what we are earning that's looked upon as a bad thing it's like talking religion or politics but here in norway you can go online 
and you can check the taxable amount of income that other people have. If yeah. I want it now, I'm in front of my computer, I can log in, I can check out what Andy made last year. Mm. I could, well, the year before, the last, uh, hasn't come yet, but yeah, it's you know, coming soon. The last soon. financial yeah. year, yeah. And it's, year. it's done so, you know, journalists can make sure that they can basically check things for corruption. Uh, and it's, you know, the private privacy of this has been discussed, but the way it works is basically, if I check Andy, Andy will get a notification that I have requested to look at his papers. So most people don't, you know, just randomly Google, you know, it's not like, you know, you're going on a date with somebody and you check what they earn because you kind of already told them that you checked and that's mm. probably more awkward than just, you know, just asking them to their face. But it means that there's at least some checks and balances when it comes to uh, making sure that the the amount that people earn actually is correct with the amount of pay they're pulling out. But this means that there should be at least some form of openness about it. But there's definitely, you know, as you say, a kind of pressure to not talk about these things. These should be private. When, as you said, if somebody is getting a different kind of pay for the same amount of work at your job, then, you know, like, why? Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't make sense, you know, from an ethical standpoint, I'd say. Um, Hmm. But we're sitting here with, I feel like, you know, as we said, two two issues. One where the union was killed and the other where the union was domesticated. What do we do about this? Yeah. And I think dialogue, you know, talking about... We need to, you know, make it less... We need to normalize talking about, you know, um, workplace... Uh, conditions and uh, pay uh, discussing your salaries and we need to really really grab each other's hands and unionize <laughs> we need to keep maintain strong unions so that when there's a problem you have a real you know a real weapon in your back pocket to pull out if you're treated badly and also it's it's a it's a problem with many facets to it and because uh, you know the media plays a huge part in this our politicians play a huge part for example i'm not a big fan of the fact that the leader of our labor party uh, is a millionaire i mean he's he's a rich man he comes from a rich yeah. family i mean he's he's not only like a millionaire but like a dollar millionaire as well they, he, yeah I mean, he got he got cash yeah i mean that he's never he's never Worked in a store, I think. <laughs> I don't think he knows, you know, the, ex the average experience of a an average person here in Norway. And to me, that's just it sounds wrong. Like, if the leader of Black Lives Matter was a white guy, sure, it's. I mean, it's not that it's, you know, technically wrong, but it feels wrong. I mean, yeah. Sure, he, <laughs> Jonas Garstöre, the guy I'm talking about, he can, he's allowed to be rich, but it sends a bad message, I think. And Yeah, and I mean, I don't care how much money he is, as long as he's fighting the right fights. 
but he's fighting the fight like he was a millionaire, you know, he's, I'm not gonna say he's full out, you know, the Bill Gates types that, you know, talk about how we need to take care of each other and then, you know, take out massive amounts of profits, but it's not far off the same kind of thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think we can comfortably say that he's never been financially uncomfortable. I mean, he has been financially uncomfortable, and that was when the media talked about how much money he's making. Yeah, that's, yeah, and I saw him at Ikea once. That's probably the closest he's come to, you know, the average Joe experience. He seems like a nice guy. Extremely boring, but a nice guy. Uh, but yeah, I don't... Uh, this isn't about him, specifically. Yeah, I, I think um, the biggest problem comes down to, you know, as I said, the conversations that's being had, which are mainly only led by, you know, organization, representative, those who own businesses and huge amounts of capital. They're the one that runs the think tanks, that talks about things, that puts news out in the media. They're the one with, you know, the PR firms that talks about how hard it is or, you know, how that they can't really get all this Norwegian youth that or unemployed to come and work at their fields because they need this prime experience that they can get for like a tenth of the cost from Poland or somewhere else in Eastern Europe. There's only dialogue or not dialogue, but, you know, words spoken from one side. And then that sets a narrative that makes everybody else believes that that's how things are, that that's the truth of it. And then maybe they disagree about some things, but they feel alone because the stories that being told, like, it's not that they go to some union meetings and they talk about how the conditions are where they're working or, you know, how the conditions are for them as somebody who's unemployed or, you know, what their needs are. Or, the, I mean, like, something that's been happening recently is that there's some drama at Andy's school with some ex-employees being mad. And you guys at least talk about what have happened and all of those things. So they don't get to set, you know, the narrative for things. There's, you know, different kinds of things. But I feel when it comes to, you know, these kinds of things, the narrative is only set by the people on top. And that means, you know, shut up and be happy for what you got and think about all these poor capitalists and how much money they're losing while they're getting bailed out. Yeah, because, you know, the issue at my workplace, it's because, uh, uh, I mean, there, it's, uh, it's regarding incidents that happened, you know, three, four, five, even six years ago. So it was before my time. Uh, and I haven't experienced any of those uh, things that they are alleging myself. And most of the, you know, the majority of the workers, <laughs> my colleagues, uh, they're saying the same thing. We haven't experienced this supposed mistreatment that uh, certain people are alleging. And the thing is, uh, those people, they, for them, the... Uh, okay, I need to turn this around. Uh, we are able to... Uh, we've had meetings at school about this. Us, the, you know, the, the teachers and, you know, the assistants. Uh, while the management at school, they've been kept outside. You know, we, we literally throw them out of the room and say, hey, we're going to have a meeting regarding the issue that people are so mad about. And we feel real safe from, you know, I don't think anyone's ever felt, uh, at least recently, uh, we, have really, we haven't felt any threats 
from the management. No one feels afraid to speak out. I mean, I'm one of the people responsible for, you know, uh, be, I'm basically the middleman if some conflict needs to be taken to management. And yeah, we have so many protections that, yeah, I, I feel pretty safe performing that job. Uh, and that's, uh, that's something we all discussed. And yeah, we agree that, yeah, we all basically feel this way. We feel safe and we don't feel mistreated in this way. Uh, the people making the allegations, they did not feel, they, they don't feel like that's what happened, at least to them. And for them, the experience was very different, apparently. Uh, they didn't feel like the union had their back. That's one of their complaints, that the, our representatives from the union, they didn't really back them up. That's what they feel. And they felt that management was allowed to, you know, stomp all over them and, uh, you know, mistreat them. So you basically have two sides. Those two perspectives represent both sides of the, you know, the issue. Because on one side, you have the majority of us who feel, yeah, we feel pretty safe from, you know, manage, uh, persecution from the management. But on, but on the other, you have what would happen to all of us if we don't protect our rights. What these people are alleging at my workplace, uh, that's what's going to happen to all of us eventually yes. if we don't, you know, maintain our protections of our rights. But I'm thinking more about this in the line of like, because the thing that's going on without going too deep into it, it's, it's more of like, it feels like more of a drama thing than it's like, you know, a big thing to fight over. But this is something that you have had lots of talks on there's been, you know, things have been done. There's been talks with management. There's been, you know, it, it's something ongoing. Everybody's kept up to date. You're discussing how do you feel if there's something that needs to change. But do you have these kinds of talks and these kinds of things when it comes to other things like, you know, pay? Like, what do you need from management? What is needed for you to run the school in the best way possible to reach the goals? Are you know, because I feel like, at least when you talk about this, that this is something that is taken seriously. There are meetings, there are all these kind of things. And I wouldn't expect it to be given this kind of uh, relevance when it comes to things that might be just, if not even more important. Yeah, and also uh, the, okay, I'm not going to bring up specific people, but there are the allegations about mistreatment are against certain people in, you know, the school management. And the main person this revolves around, uh, is facing, you know, serious consequences. Uh, and that's because the, the organization we talked about, Arbeidstilsynet, uh, uh, that, you know, protects workers' rights, uh, they are taking this seriously. And yeah, it might lead to, you know, someone losing their job, uh, perhaps even, you know, I mean, there's a lawsuit, there's, yeah, there's potential for a lot of consequences so the people on top don't feel safe from consequence and that's not something you see in every country um uh, ironically uh i kind of have to go now because i have work in the morning <laughs> but um yeah the first of may yes sorry to cut this short but uh celebrate it enjoy it but Remember why it's important and think about what can be done to create more of a 
united front to keep to keep the fight ongoing even if you're living in a country where you're part of a union and like Andy said it's mostly domesticated and nothing happens because talking about one drama incident at the school might be something they do seriously but dealing with your wages or making sure we have proper hours or making sure that there's enough employees to solve what's needed to be done at work is not taken as seriously. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, you know, every year we watch the same parade uh, with, you know, the prime minister and lots of important people talking about, uh, you know, holding up posters and banners, talking about how important our workers are, our laborers are. Uh, but then the day when May 2nd rolls around, uh, it's kind of forgotten. And yeah, we need more consistent, we, we need to consistently fight to protect, I, I know I keep repeating myself, but we need to be consistent in our protection of our rights. Because the other side, they are consistent in, you know, tearing it down. They're not stopping. <laughs> That's why they get what they want. That's why when That's ba why the bailouts comes, they're the one getting the money. Yeah, that's why so far they're winning. And just to finish up, I, I would like to, you know, bring, bring the attention of our listeners to, you know, a historical fact when it comes to the power disparity between employers and employees. Because today, employers have, you know, basically all the power in certain countries. Take America, for example. Yeah, let's take America. It's a very clear-cut, simple example to make. Because in America, you are basically living under the boot of your, boot of your employer. And they have all the power. Uh, but I would like to just remind everyone on this final note that if you go back a few, you know, a few centuries, the alternative to us, us the workers, you know, striking or protesting was that we would show up at the doorstep of our bosses, our employers, and, you know, tear them to shreds. And it feels like our employers have forgotten that. Uh, and it feels like we've kind of forgotten that as well. And I think it's about time we remind them, not by, you know, <laughs> this is not a, <laughs> let me, disclaimer, this is not a encouragement of, you know, violence, but that's the, that's the, that's the consequence of this when it taken to its extreme, uh, to its most extreme. And, you know, when push comes to shove, we're going to have serious conflicts about this because it's either, either going to be a fight between employees and employers. And I'm not saying a literal fiscal fight now, but more figuratively, it's either going to be a battle between employers and employees or it will be a battle between employees and employees. You know, in a few years, automation is going to be moving forward at breakneck speeds, and we're going to be fighting each other over jobs. And uh, yeah, uh, my point is we're fast moving towards a point where things are going to get heated, you know, in the workforce environment. And we need to take some serious steps to protect ourselves and protect each other. And protect our employers, you know, from consequence. And we do that by enforcing our rights and setting boundaries when it comes to what's happening to our rights. I think I've said the word rights more times in this past hour than 
throughout the entire rest of my life. Yeah, take a shot every time Andy says right. But yes, it's called class warfare because it's a battle. It's something that you have to fight. And mm. you can say that, oh, I don't want to be aggressive. I don't want to be part of a fight. But, you know, the lines are there. If you don't do anything, somebody will do something against you. Yeah. So stand with those who will fight for you. Stand with those that will make things better for you that can make a good change because if nobody does the other side will just walk all over you oh. and steal your lunch money there's a limit and i would prefer if it wasn't reached yes yeah okay that's it subscribe follow thingy whatever follow us on twitter is what he's trying to say <laughs> in normal no, speak like I can never remember if like you follow people on podcast or if you subscribe or if it's another word like uh, follow subscribe I mean subscribe because yeah yeah when a new episode pops up you'll get a notification write a review um, give us feedback yes yeah as um, always criticism can be directed directly at Matthew uh, yeah he'll deal with that <laughs> and uh, enjoy the first about us enjoy Labor Day. Yeah. First of May. Woo. <laughs> <laughs>